Welcome to the Bold New Dream Podcast. Today, I'm with Mark from UPS. Can you introduce yourself, Mark, and tell us how you got started in the world of virtual reality? My name is Mark Grove, and I run the Immersive Tech Center at UPS. Um, I've been running it for about two, three years now. Where we're a center that's really focused on XR technology and things of that nature. You know, people are using the buzzwords like metaverse and things like that, but we're more focused on sort of training, technology, design tools, collaborative environments to help, you know, be what UPS does. Before all that, before I started doing all that, way back in the late 90s, I did a startup around 360 degree virtual reality interfaces on Mac uh-huh. OS and Windows. I had a patent for three years. Good for you. And then, you um, you know, but the reality and a lesson learned from somebody very famous was people don't pay for enhancements, right? And at the (laughs) time, I didn't think he was right, but he was really right. So after three years of trying to do that startup, we went belly up. We were like, you know what? It's not worth it. Patents weren't worth it to maintain. So I was just like, we're done. Um, So that's where I got my infatuation with VR. Right. The, we're, the, we're in the days of when we built the headsets, you know, we put motion trackers to face mounted displays to, you know, writing the code and firmware to support the operating system. Right. I had the opportunity to, you know, work for Viacom after startups history and all that. Um, but it was only since where I was always on the side, sort of doing the virtual reality stuff, building augmented or virtual training, learning type of simulations. So I got the bug, right? You can look at my LinkedIn profile and see all that stuff. So how did you get involved with UPS? I'm freelancing in New York City and I get a phone call. Mr. Grove, I was wondering if you'd be interested in working for UPS. What? Yeah, would you like to work for UPS? I said, I have no interest in driving a brown truck. What, why? I, I don't understand why you're calling me. Well, Mr. Grove, I got I got your background, and uh, we have an opening here at UPS for a person with your skill set. I'm like, my skill set? I mean, okay, this sounds a little better. Okay, slow down. What's going on? Tell me what's going on. So she says, well, we're looking for somebody to be a subject matter expert for this virtual reality, augmented reality thing. You know, based on your resume, you're very skilled at that. I said, really? Okay, well, now you got my attention. Right. So they sent me over the job description. I'm like, well, this is like basically an internal startup. They basically want someone to be a subject matter expert to basically build the practice for XR at UPS. Wow. This is kind of cool. Um, and they already sort of had things in place. They really definitely saw potentials for the technology. And uh, I believe it was my first day on the job, three hours into my job, I built a EVAS simulation in three hours where you're inside an Airbus 300. And the whole idea was it was a VR simulation to uh, give you the muscle memory or the concepts of process, right? Put your oxygen mask on, then activate the vehicle. They were just like, wait, you built the simulation three hours. I said, yeah, well, you know, I have old 3D models of cockpits, you know, because of my background and all this and that. And all of a sudden they were just sitting there like, whoa. And I was like, yeah. Um, and then I mentioned that content creation is cheap. It's cost-effective because now we have a tool that lets us empower creative people to develop things rapidly. So with that, I kind of started my career at UPS. 
From your very fast start, can you tell us about where things are at now? What does the technology let people do? So a business person could have a pain point and have a system in place, a group in place, whereby through the identification of that pain point, we can build simulations for training, or we could uh, coordinate a solution for design systems. So the idea of being able to use simulation to actually design, you know, these vast facilities that they now create, um, you know, these were all things that, you know, very rapidly came on, on plate and were very easy sort of business ROIs, right? Um, one thing I would describe is like UPS is very traditional, right? Intangibles are a hard thing, but if you can explain it in a very tangible way, it's very easy. It'll be very successful, right? So it's interesting that in entertainment or in social media, the business is about who sees it, how many times are see, how many people are seeing it versus in UPS world. It's very operational. It's very practical. It's about how quickly can we roll an employee to be effective? How quickly can we get the employee to understand the cornerstones, right? The cornerstones to the process or to the specific business. Then by defining that, right? Realizing that's how we create growth in the organization. Then it became very easy because now it's a case of you look at that business problem. We have a process of resources for the business users. You know, it's sort of almost internal advisory group per se. So we're able to actually build them something that from a practical thinker standpoint, they can have in their hands. You know, they think that now it's the all-in-one wireless headsets. And the idea here is there's no wires anymore, right? Uh, three years ago, right? It was $9,000 to deploy VR training because we had to have a PC, we had a tethered VR headset, all that stuff. Even the time that a technician going on site to properly install the little sensors and everything else on the walls. So that's three years ago, you know, as of a year or so ago, right now we have this, this, and it's three, you know, six degrees of freedom controllers. So now you have something that three years ago was $9,000 to deploy. Now, all of a sudden it's a third of that, you know, $1,000, $2,000, right. And then from an instructor standpoint, in the sense of costing, maybe every time that device is used, it actually only costs the organization $15, $20. So now we have a very functional model of how to deploy and use the technology. It's, you know, usually it's the case of culture battle to get past that initial shock of, oh my God, well, this, even this wireless headset, it's $1,500 with tax and everything else. That's how corporations think. But you don't think that way about the laptop that you assign to your employee. Well, no, we don't because we deprecate it and you know we expect constant usage. So we can go and say, what's the cost basis? And to me, that's a huge change in the sense of four years ago, you know, people really viewed it as, can it be done? Now it's a case of, well, the infrastructure is in place. The practice is mature enough. You know, there's a track record. Now you really can say, okay, with confidence, okay, to deploy this in one year, the headset is going to be used 300 times, right? 
Um, and then they'll be used for 20 minutes to 30 minutes per user. You know, now if you start talking about multi-user environments, there's a lot more savings because now I can have one instructor in one facility training four other facilities, you know, 10 users at a time. So that's 50 people in a virtualized classroom space <laughs> where we're able to get analytics and metrics. All of a sudden, this technology is making money. You talked earlier when we were chatting about what you call a critical chain of learning and how it relates to success on the job. Right. What's that critical chain of learning the user needs to understand to successfully do their job? If someone doesn't successfully do their job, they're going to leave. People don't like failure. It really boils down to that. From a business metric standpoint, where are all these things that we're doing? Why do we train? The mantra is zero errors first time all the time. Because we want the errors being done in simulation, not in production. How do you see all this evolving over the next eight to 10 years? That's a question that our advanced tech group is better facilitated to answer. My group's scope is now to five years. You look at what is actionable, what is practical in regards to technology and how to apply it. So in five years, the concept of metaverse, I don't see that being applicable to a group like UPS per se, because mm. we're a very physical operation. Generally, our products are really physically and reality-based. We're really about getting that package from point A to point B and consistently getting it there, making it as easy as possible for, for the party to not deal with customs or whatever else. So the idea of a metaverse does not make sense for you. Maybe it's in the frameworks of metaverse, but a gated garden. And maybe it's a case of in five years, maybe sooner. You know, what is what is my initial experience or immersion or introduction to my employer? It's going to be either through my phone or through my wearable. And it may be, I think, fairly practically speaking, realistically speaking, you know, maybe my first two to four weeks of my job, maybe I'm home. You know, mm -hmm. I'm in my apartment or at my parents' house or whatever. And I'm being measured as a recruit for the full-time job through the device, right? Through that e-learning environment. The younger generation is very open, very accepting to that. I see what you mean by a metaverse inside a gated garden, a UPS metaverse. Would you say this has been triggered by COVID? It was there. The whole concept of digital nomads, decentralization. I think these were trends that were way before COVID showed up. I think yeah. COVID accelerated it mm -hmm. out of necessity because before COVID, we were having discussions of classroom in a box, you know, mail the package, that's the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, the whole concept of decentralizing the whole concept of rapidly onboarding for gig workers, right? These are things that existed before COVID. <laughs> COVID created the biological wall that said, <laughs> hey, if you're going to be competitive, you've got to change. You've got to respond. And I think that's where UPS, we realize it. You know, we recognized it and we responded. And I think the aspect of immersive learning, XR or VR learning, was drastically accelerated and matured. I would say COVID almost created that environment where to be competitive, companies had to rapidly innovate. 
in that the first February when everything started to happen, right? All my projects were AR, augmented work instruction, remote assistance in operations, right? The assumption was I would be in the facility. By the next month, all of a sudden, all those projects went on the shelf and all the VR training projects I had came off the shelf and came, you know, front and center and everything. Ah, That's very interesting. Everything changed because we very quickly identified we can't, for health reasons, we can't expose new resources to the environment right away. Yeah. Well, what do we do? Okay. Now also, well, our traditional employee can't go to these facilities. We can't do it at the volume traditionally we used to do. Well, what do we do? Right. That's where all of a sudden the questions of what could a driver learn through the dyad that they use to scan packages? Really, it's an Android tablet. You know, it's an Android phone. You know, we need to look at these platforms to accelerate either maintaining their education as an employee, as a provider, or providing new employees more successful tools to do the job because we don't have the mentor. It's how quickly can you onboard a new resource? So I think within seven hours or something like that, you can go from downloading the app to delivering, right? In seven hours. We see the same paradigm with our package handlers and facility. How do you properly climb up and down a ladder? Key things they need to learn is how to properly pick up a package how to you know, read or understand the labels. These are things that very rapidly all of a sudden become very relevant when you say, okay, we now have an environment where the mentor system can't operate. What do right. you do? And that's where it's very interesting learnings that all of a sudden it was a case of, well, how do we retain and engage employee resources? Yeah, because you want to retain them. That's important. So the power of engagement through the XR platforms is just amazing. And then the ability to use the analytics to almost self-educate, right? We've done training experiments and training methodologies where literally the training starts with the employee has not been told anything and it's just all do it. And then based on what they do, they receive through the simulation feedback. Hey, are you aware of you weren't actually lifting with your feet because these devices let us understand relationship of height to action right yeah and then they go oh well i didn't realize that you know oh or you basically pick the package up on the two sides instead of the two corners opposite you know corners you know where it's the most stable to pick up right and the platforms gave us the ability to then actually initiate not only accelerated learning but the employee themselves is actually initiating the learning they're doing it wrong. It's okay because it's not affecting production. It's virtual. You know, it's, it's just the click of the button or a reset. And uh, the fact that the employee or recruit has the feeling of, well, it's not, if I mess up, it's not a big deal. That's how a good many, point. Yeah, you know, very good point. Yeah. How many times does a, a new employee say, well, I, I left the job because, you know, my, my supervisor hated me. And it may be a case where you talk to the supervisor and say, well, Why'd the person leave? I don't know. You know, I mean, I kept, you know, helping them, you know, giving them feedback of what they were doing. And then all of a sudden it's a case of, well, was it a case of how you were communicating it? Was it disengaging the employee or the recruit? Uh That's a great point. 
you know what i could see that you know we're in a loud environment on the floor and i'm sort of yelling feedback to them it sounds to me like the system is better than the mentors yes and no it's it's better because it's the simulation is standardized an analogy would be we ran virtual simulation two years ago. I wish I had the pictures. One of the tech managers that did it, he said to me, Mark, you got to look at this picture. I said, what? He goes, so it shows me a picture. There's, I think he had three package cars and the package car on the right, you could see it's loaded packages kind of all over the place on the shelves, stuff like that. The next two, they looked like a photo, right? It's, everything's in line. It's clean, it's smooth. And he just said to me, he goes, after looking at that picture quick, which of those package car loaders do you think went through training who didn't? And I said, oh, well, definitely the two people that have the pretty looking package cars, they went through the training, right? He goes, yes, they went through the training. Because the training and how it was presenting it, it was in a way where it was promoting the cleanness. It's you know mm-hmm. being clean, being crisp versus the traditional way of just get the package on the shelf. All of a sudden it was, well, wait a second, because I was trained on unique characteristics of package measurement, as I'm putting the package up, now I know that if I turned it a certain way, it evenly goes into the shelf versus just getting it on the shelf. And so consistency of training, the consistency versus the instructor was better. But there's other aspects of it where it's not. You may have you know, cases where certain recruits would just struggle with the technology. People would get sick, right? People get you know, the VR sickness. You mean like dizziness or what well, do you mean VR? Or sweats. Typically what would happen is someone would rush to throw the VR headset on. They would basically put it on, like the analogy I use is, imagine putting on someone else's prescription glasses and trying to do the work, yeah. right? With unfortunately XR, VR devices, because they're very intrusive, they're very physical to the face. A lot of times people, you know, they're just rushing to do something and they're not paying attention to, well, this is going on your face. You've got to make sure it's right. It's for you. And the training to do that, if it's overlooked, right, this great technology actually becomes a problem. It creates more problems than it solves. I see. So, so that's where I would kind of say there's a trade-off. The, the instructor, they are subject matter experts. They know what, what it is and how to do it. The mentors know that. And we don't have to deal with potential issues with the technology. Because mm-hmm. deploying the technology, the biggest challenge is always the problems it creates when you deploy it because it's new. But if properly deployed, you, know, you can really minimize that. And the newer technology, obviously, it's getting better and better. So what, what projects are you working on over the next couple of years? The big piece for me and my group is really standardizing and providing guidelines so that the technology, in effect, within, say, maybe the next two years can be hand off to your traditional IT department. All the knowledge, all the understanding of how to deploy the hardware and to deploy the software is very easy and in effect, like your iPhone, you know, how do you install an app? For us, that's the main focus is making the ability to empower people as easy as possible. That's the big 
thing on our board. And then the other aspects of it is the big challenge is communication. From an enterprise standpoint, it's communicating the capability of business groups to the technology so that this way they can, in effect, create their own content or solve their own business case. We have already over the last year trained people within their group to basically be, in effect, game developers and train them on the tools to empower themselves so that they can have an internal subject matter expert in their group that says, okay, they know how to create requirements. They know under how to paint the picture so that this way, if they need to engage themselves to create a POC or an MVP to explore the value, they can do it. Or being able to communicate to a, an outside vendor to build the product correctly for their needs. We also have our base operations group. They're actually using the same sort of hardware framework, but to design future buildings and facilities and automations. So through the virtual environment, they're able to commit virtual materials and explore what productivity or output it will have before ever coming to physical. For, for my group especially, it's identifying business cases where we can really optimize and get the best return on using the technology for business. Because in the end, my group's not as interested about the wearables. We're most interested about how can we use the innovative technology to really ramp up and accelerate profitability for operations or for a particular group. In the end, that's really our focus because that's the enterprise paradigm. We're not an entertainment. We're not a game company. Why are we doing it? It's really because one unique nature of this technology is it speeds someone's ability to be a operable, profitable employee, a productive employee by 300 times. Do you sometimes feel like an entrepreneur? I describe it as creating scale to what we do. You have to use machine learning. You have to use all this new technology. And it's something where uniquely, I put the entrepreneur hat on. One of the fun things with my role is I'm in that position where we're listening to that business group. Just like as an entrepreneur, there's a problem. There's some pain point. Someone wishes this product exists. And then you go and say, hmm, okay, yeah. You know, and you sit back and you spend some time, you think about it, you formulate it and you pitch it. It's different. It's the entrepreneur versus the intrapreneur view. And once I understood that, then it got interesting because the reality is a place like UPS, the current senior management, they're all gratefully aware of the situation. And that's where it's just, it's exciting because if you have senior management, that's very approachable and open to ideas. You know, it's exciting. You're lucky. A lot of uh, companies are not like that. And maybe the fact that UPS is so operational oriented, the whole business depends on the operations, that probably helps management see reality a lot faster than a lot of companies in businesses that are more paper-based or... Yeah, I mean, uh, or, or you know. one sort of example um, that always comes to mind uh, when I talk to students that when doing a startup, Usually the biggest challenge is being honest with yourself, practical on what you're trying to do, and be receptive to 
what the original idea was is going to change and it's going to change for the better. One of the things I would do, and I think if you look at my LinkedIn, I have an article there. I call it my 13 rules to working in XR. I think I changed it from VR to XR. And the one line that always is there, and I'll say to my interns, my new people on my team or business users in other groups that come to me and say, oh, did you see this new thing? I want to do something. And this is in your wheelhouse and we want to do something, right? It's always the saying of get past the smoke and mirrors, see it for what it is. I found your article. In fact, you call it common sense rules for working in XR. I like that title. I want to thank you very much for your time, Mark, and for sharing your expertise with us. And I'd like to thank all of the people who've listened to this podcast and recommend that you pop on over to my website, boldnewbreed.com, where you can see the show notes for this episode, along with all the other previous episodes. 